Today we are going to talk about being honest with God and I got to ask uh, how many people here have purchased an automobile from Matson Olds Cadillac? Anybody? There are some that remember that place. That's great. I, uh, I'm here because of that. You know, Art Fielstra was on the search committee that, that lured me to the, back to Muskegon and uh, got to know them quite well. And then Jim Hooksima, who was an elder here, very involved. We had the same thing. It was, you know, he owned Discovery Ford in Whitehall. And he gave me some really good deals on some Fords. And I got to know a little bit about that business. It was really interesting to learn that because, you know, used car salesmen don't have the best reputation in the world. They're sometimes known to embellish the facts a little bit, not always representing things as they really are. And uh, I would go make the rounds with him on that. It's just kind of fun to see. But what surprised me was how much people try to deceive car salesmen. When you come in to trade a car off, folks would lie like crazy about how their, good their car was. You could tell it was a piece of junk when they were trading it in, but oh, this is such a wonderful car. And then sometimes they'd come in and the car would have good tires and good battery in. By the time they bring it back to take possession of their new one, it's got an old battery and tires that are shot on it. It's kind of interesting. I didn't think people did that sort of thing. They covered up accidents. The cars you know, were in accidents, but they can, and I thought, come on, they've got a body shop here. They can tell those things. But people would exaggerate the quality of their cars. And to me, that just didn't make sense. I also hang out with some shrinks, some psychologists. And it's an interesting thing, too, that most of the people who go to a psychologist at least for the first three or four sessions, don't present an accurate picture of what's going on in their lives. So how can they fix anything if they, they don't do it? But most people do not tell the truth when they get in there. They're not honest about that. And then there's kids to parents. Any of you ever lie to your parents? You have never done that, have you? No. Me either. Just as innocent as the driven snow. No, I think we've all lied to our parents at one point or another. It's just what kids do, and we've all done it. Sometimes it's just in bragging. You know, oh yeah, Dad, I made this much money or whatever. But we tend to exaggerate things. But the one that really, the story that I like to tell, I think I've told this before here, but maybe not, was one time when I was a kid, about 13, 14 years old, I went to a, a cattle auction like this one in South, somewhere in South Dakota. I think it was in Beersford, South Dakota, which is a really exciting community on Interstate 29, population about 3,000. But they had these livestock auctions, and I went with my dad and a few other guys. And they don't really have many of these anymore because now cattle are bought a thousand at a time instead of a little group like that. But I went to that auction and you know the fun part is is that if you go someplace with a half a dozen beef producers and they want to go out to eat afterwards you get fed well because they go to these steakhouses and I remember it you know the small steaks were like a half a pound and uh, you get a full pound or a two pound t-bone it was wonderful 
And so I was sitting in this restaurant eating, and there's a fella in there that I knew, actually from church, <coughs> who uh, was drinking seven and sevens. And I thought, now what in the world is a seven and This old boy's pounding him down. He's getting a little woozy. And I said, so what is a seven and seven? He said, oh, here, take a taste. And so I did. That's the last time I've had a seven and seven. It was awful. I don't know, you know, apparently it's Seagram 7 whiskey and 7-Up. Not a good combination in my opinion. But here's the catcher about this fella. He was a youth group sponsor in my church. So I'm sitting, youth group people, I'm sitting at this youth group meeting and, and it was a big church. There's probably 50 kids in the youth group. And this guy gets up and he's talking about the evils of drugs and alcohol. And, trying, and he says, yeah, I never touched this stuff. I haven't for years. I have a question. Is there alcohol in a seven and seven? <laughs> Did not score any points with that guy that day, night. But he says, I swear to God, I've never had a drink in the last 20 years. Well, I was sitting at table with him when he was guzzling those things like ice water. But he denied ever having one. And he said to that youth group, honest to God, I don't drink. And that's when I learned that when somebody says honest to God, they're about to lie to you. And that has always kind of stuck with me. But we've all been there. We've all been busted for being dishonest at one point or another, I'm sure. Here's what's interesting, you know, is that God knows everything about us. But we act as if he doesn't. We act as if we can fool him and that he's not going to hold us accountable. I sat through hours and hours of public prayers as if God is not listening. I think that's a beautiful prayer to a congregation but I don't think God's listening to it. See, because we can't fool God into thinking that we're holier than we are. Now, how does he know? How does he know what everybody in this room is thinking? And how does he know what you're going to be thinking about in an hour from now? How does he know? Now, I've got an opinion on that. It's just my opinion, but I'm going to share it with you. I think he has an army of angels. You know, if we're going through Jeremiah now on Wednesday night, and you all ought to be there. It's really cool. But the, that's a shameless plug. The thing is that God is referred to in Jeremiah as God of the angel armies. And he's got all these angels, and they have access to what's going on in your head all the time. And I don't know where these angels come from. Maybe they're the ones who've gone before us. You know, maybe your great-grandfather is your guardian angel. You never know. I don't know how it works. It's just a theory that I have. But I got that theory from the New Testament word, from the Greek word for angel. It's angelos, like los angelos, you know. But it's angelos, and it literally means messenger. The ones who would carry messages back and forth from headquarters, from the throne. And they have, like I said, they have access to your head, and they carry your prayers back to the throne or to headquarters, whatever you want to call it. 
It's just kind of a cool thing to think about. And they're in this room right now, monitoring what's going on in your head. Kind of scary, isn't it? But they know. And Psalm 139, which I was looking at, I think back in July or something, talked about this. So I made a journal entry, and you guys get it today. I would like to invite you to read Psalm 139 this afternoon. Think about it, meditate on it, because it's really cool. We're going to look at parts of it now. And this is how it goes. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. So he knows everything. Kind of scary, isn't it? He knows when you sit or stand. So that means he knows all your actions. He knows all your thoughts. When you're watching porn, he's watching with you. He knows what's going on. When the hatred is bubbling up in your heart, he's there and he understands. He knows what's going on. Kind of a scary thing to think about. There is no escape from it. The psalm goes on with this. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. So he knows what you're going to say, and his hand of blessing is on you anyway. Now that's, to me, totally profound. Hard to understand. But totally, he knows what you're thinking. He knows all the dirt on you. And yet he has his hand of blessing on you. That's cool. That's real love right there. And then he understands. I don't understand how this happens. That's why I use the explanation of the angels. And I think that keeps some angels pretty busy. And you all probably do too. But the thing about angels is they don't get tired. Now, Psalm goes on. We're going to go to verse 7 here. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. Now, theologians call this the doctrine of omnipresence saying that God is everywhere at the same time. And I question that. I think he sends angels instead. But we can't get away. He's always there. It's like he's there providing oxygen for our souls so that we can keep living. Just like he does with the angels. He, their lives depend on God's energy going to them. It's kind of a cool thing when you think about it. Now, we're going to skip down to verse 13 of this psalm. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was being woven together in the dark of the womb. Again, you know, your physical part of you is really an amazing thing. 
this, this week I was talking with someone who had a kidney stone. And there were men and women in the room, and they were debating whether passing a kidney stone is more painful than giving birth. And the giving birth won out. But, you know, very few people have had both kidney stones and given birth. But the guys were talking about kidney stones, and I thought, you know, it's really amazing how your kidneys work. Like I see water bottles, you know, you drink those water bottles, your kidneys are going to flush that out of your body in a couple hours again. I don't know how in the world that works. Now, as a kid, I held a kidney in my hand because, you know, cattle, they die, you do post-mortems on them. And I actually held a, a beef kidney in my hand from an animal that had just recently died. And I remember looking at that thing and thinking, it looks so simple, but this is really a complex thing. There is no way, no way that that could have happened by accident. That had to be designed. It's so complicated. And your kidney is just a small part of you. Think about your brain. Think about the hair that pops out of your head. Think about all those things. You know, it's, it's amazing how we're put together. We are very complicated machines. And God has knit us together in our mother's wombs, it says. Two of my kids have hybrid cars. And, you know, I open the hoods to look at that, and I see how complex the, those cars are. My first car was 69 Chevelle. I'm old school. I still have a dwell meter. How many of you know what a dwell meter and a timing light is? Ah, a few of you do. Mine are somewhere in my basement collecting mold, but I do have them. But these hybrid cars are so much more sophisticated. And your body is so much more sophisticated than a hybrid car. Your brain is so much more sophisticated than the computers in that hybrid car. It's amazing how God has created us. And your soul is even more complex. And God knows this because he's made us. And he still loves us. I may have mentioned once or twice that I'm a Rolling Stones fan. Have been since the mid-60s. And I watched an interview of Mick Jagger a couple of weeks ago, just the event of his 80th birthday. And the guy interviewing him says, how do you remember the lyrics to all those songs? And he said, well, I wrote them all. And that's how God knows us. How does he know us so well? Well, he made us. It's really quite simple. So this psalm kind of concludes then with an invitation. It says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. See, he already knows your hearts. And he knows your anxious thoughts. Times when you doubt that he's really caring for you. You know, back in the 60s and 70s, we had an expression of being in the groove. You know, going with the flow sort of thing, I guess is a more contemporary way of saying 
You know, when we're in God's groove, we're not anxious because we realize he's got things going for us. But when we're out of that, that's when anxiety comes. There's going to be those times when you doubt his care for you. But he knows you. So you might as well welcome him in. You might as well let him test you. It's kind of like a medical test. You know, if you have something wrong with your body and you don't get the medical test, you're probably going to die. But if you get the test and you get the results and you do something about it, it can be life-changing. But you have to be honest about the test. So this psalmist, the guy who wrote this, says, point out anything in me that is offensive to God and then lead me on the path to eternal life. So here's the question. Since God knows everything, why hide anything? Why cover it up? Yeah, I sometimes think that we spend a lot of time trying to con God into thinking we're better than we are. But he sees right through you. And he still loves you. So that means we can admit our flaws. We can be honest to God. We can admit our bad stuff. We can admit our frustrations. We can admit our anxieties. We can even give him our complaints. Because he can handle it. So we can cut the phony, pious stuff out of our lives. Don't need it. We're not fooling anybody. Well, we might be able to fool our neighbors, but we can't fool God with it. And instead, put on a positive relationship with him. One that is open and honest and growing. And then you can, you can make this happen. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote about half of the New Testament, had a really rough life. He got beat up. He got stoned, and not in a good way. And he had all these other things going on with him. And yet, he lived a life where he could write this. He said this about five years before he... he we believe he was executed by Nero. He said, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Growth does not happen if relationships are dishonest. Your physician cannot help you if you're not honest with your physician. Now, I go, I usually see for my annual physicals a nurse practitioner, and I like her a lot, but she's about this wide. Really healthy sort of person. And she told me that I, had a, I was in vigorous health, but I'm too fat. So now I don't like her anymore. <laughs> but, you know, if you, you lie to your physician, you don't get help. 
you admit it, you get treatment. Healthy relationships work best with honesty. All healthy relationships do better with honesty. And the same with God. Be open and honest before him. Because that's where the real growth happens. If you want a relationship with God that is prospering, you have to be real with him and see what happens. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we can't possibly begin to understand what all goes on in your mind and how you see us for what we are and yet you love us. And that's an amazing thing. So give us the courage to be open and honest with you in all things. Amen.